chapter number 9. The book of Mark in chapter number 9. So, as we open our Bibles there, Mark chapter number 9. Mark chapter number 9, does anybody ever have doubts? Doubts, I mean I have doubts. Not only doubts, but how about, uh, uh, how about doubts about our salvation? Am I really saved? Am I really saved? And uh, we, we could come along, we find many uh, times that uh, we doubt a lot of things. We doubt a lot of things. We're encouraged in scripture not to doubt, and yet we're human. We have all kinds of doubts. And uh, many times we think if we doubt, we're not Christians, but if we doubt, you realize it's a sign that we're missing in faith, or uh, that our faith is lacking. So I want to encourage you today, tell you that we have many examples in the Bible of those who doubted and yet defeated their doubts. They, they doubted, yet they defeated their doubts. You don't have to be defeated by your doubt. You can defeat doubt. You can win. That's what I'm saying. You can win over doubt. That's a, that's a good thing. In Mark chapter number 9, we have the story of a father who brings his sick boy to the Lord. The little guy's sick, and as he brings his sick boy to the Lord, he does have faith, and yet he has a faith that's mixed with doubt. He makes a statement in verse 24 that I think we can all identify, but uh, Mark chapter number 9, beginning in verse number 23, Jesus said to him, if thou canst believe, if thou canst believe, all things are possible to him that believeth. And straightway the father of the child cried out and said with tears, Lord, I believe, help thou mine unbelief. Help my unbelief. Wow. So Jesus went on and of course he healed the boy, but notice the statement, Lord, I believe but help thou my unbelief. And how the father makes the statement with, with tears. There's great emotion here. Emotion because of concern for his child. Concern for emotion because he did not believe in the Lord yet. And, and yet the problem was, was uh, so difficult. It seemed like uh, an uncrossable river. It seemed like a mountain that he wasn't going to be able to get over. And yet he said... I do believe, yet there's unbelief in my heart. I do believe the problem is so difficult, the thing is so big, I know I can do it, but help the unbelief that's in my heart. Help me believe that I can do so. I, uh, I happen to like Philippians 4.13. One of my favorite verses in all the Bible, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. You realize that every time that I say that I can't, I'm limiting God when I say that. Because if I do it through Jesus, then I can. But if I come along and I say, no, I can't do it, I can't love that person, I can't be good to that person, I can't, then I'm saying that through Jesus Christ, I can't do that and because 
Now I'm saying, God, even with your help, I can't do that. That's limiting God. And is God a God who's to be limited? Not at all. Not at all. I mean, he's a God who can do anything at any time. He's an amazing God. And, and you look and you say, here he is. And so this father is looking and he says, help my unbelief. And people have doubts. You know we, we doubt the future. We, get, we call it worry. We get worried. Um, and when, uh, when we doubt people, we call it suspicion. I'm sus- you're suspicious. You're doing something you shouldn't do. We doubt people. It's called suspicion. We doubt ourselves. We call it inferiority. Or we doubt God. We call it unbelief. We doubt television. We call it intelligence. And when we doubt it, everything and everyone, somebody will call us a cynic. People go through what we call a midlife crisis. Yeah. Brother Chase, he's going to get there one of these days. In a midlife crisis is a time of doubt. It's a time of doubt. When you doubt yourself, you doubt your dreams, you doubt your abilities, it's a real crisis. In the book of James, we're cautioned about praying with doubt. We're encouraged to pray without doubt. Matter of fact, James 1, 6, the Bible says that if you ask the Lord something with doubt, that it's a lot like a wave. It's just tossed. You're like a reed that's shaking in the wind. You're out there shaking like a like the dandelion seeds, you know, when it comes up and the little white things on the top. And what does everybody want to do? You pick that thing and you want to do one of two things. You want to go blow on it or shake it, right? Because it lets those seeds fly everywhere. We look at it and you go, there it is. So the Bible encourages us about doubt, and yet it's possible to be a Christian and have doubts. It's possible. So the causes, why do we doubt God sometimes? Well, why is, is, uh, why is our faith weak sometimes? Why is our, our faith mixed with doubt sometimes? Well, I want to give you a couple of reasons. First of all, I, I, uh, because of the critics, everyone around us. There are people who criticize our faith. There are people who, who are suspicious of prayer. There are people who, who make fun of us uh, if we give a testimony for Jesus Christ. There are going to be critics that cause us to doubt. There are going to be people who point their fingers. Sometimes they're very uh, influential people. Sometimes they're successful people. Some uh, who, who might laugh at, the, at our faith and that we, we have in Jesus Christ. So we are tempted to look at a person and say, well, they're not a Christian. Or they are a person who's skeptical. They are uh, very affluent, very professional. So it, it begins to shake our faith in God. We, we need to realize that many times our doubt comes from critics. From folks that don't like or say ugly things about us. The Bible warns us about sitting in the seat of the scoffer or, or with those critics. It says if we sit in the seat of the, uh, of the scoffer or the, the, the critic, then it may cause us to doubt might even cause us to doubt. There's a second thing I would say, that in Psalm 73, David discusses all the reasons why he doubts the love of God. He mentions that he doubts the love of God because it seems to him when he looks around and he sees influential people who trust God, people who live uh, immoral lives, and yet they seem to have everything. 
They, they live a filthy life. It's a dirty life. They don't, uh, uh, they don't honor God, but yet they seem to be prosperous and God, it seems like everything's going their way. And David had to work through the process in Psalm 73. He had to look at the evidence that is eternal, not the evidence that's temporal. And their success may be just that. It may be temporal. It might be just for the moment, but not for the eternity. The Bible has said, the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. We have to keep in mind that the wisdom of the world and the wisdom of man are completely different. Completely different. Have you ever felt like when you're in Sunday school that your teacher was teaching something contrary to everything else you heard all week long? Like it was completely different than what you've heard all week long? Yeah, I've had that happen a few times. Where I've come to church and, and I've heard things in church and I go, wait a minute, that's so different than the news that I see on TV. That's so different from the, the things that I've heard, maybe from my teachers. I remember when I was in school and I heard some things in, from my Bible that I definitely, uh, my teachers were talking about something that was completely different than what was in my Bible. And I had all kinds of questions, all kinds of doubts. Well, I had to be like David. I had to work it out in my heart. I had to understand it. Then sometimes our conscience causes us to doubt. What do I mean when I say this? Well, you know, some people can't find God for the same reason a thief can't find a policeman. Some people can't find God because of the same reason a thief can't find a policeman. Because they have a guilty conscience. Because uh, if... Uh, uh, they are going to reject anything that would bring a change in their lifestyle. They're going to say, no way, no how. I'm going to reject everything that's going to create change in me. I think that's funny because when you take the Word of God, what is it that the Word of God does? The Word of God changes us. As I study the Word of God, the Word of God changes me. As you study the Bible, you know what it does? It changes you. It helps us to become more like Jesus. And sometimes our conscience, well, it might cause us to doubt. Well, you go, wait a minute. Well, the Apostle Paul talks about some people who made a profession of faith. They, they trusted Jesus, but now they're not living for God. And, and now they even deny their faith. He gives us the reason they, they deny their faith. They deny their faith because they're not living their faith. And therefore, they've got removed the, the reason that causes their inward conviction. Matter of fact, I find it interesting, 1 Timothy actually talks about it in chapter 1 and verse number 19 when he said, holding faith and a good conscience which some, having put away concerning faith, have made shipwreck. Their faith was like a shipwreck. That's a big crash. You know, what a mess. I just, I've never been on a big ship. I've been on little boats, and I've been with a lot of team canoeing trips. And I have to be honest, I have been ornery on a few of those. And we have sunk a few canoes. They say you can't sink a canoe. But we've had a couple that have gone to the bottom of the creek or the bottom of the lake, wherever it was that we were picking on folks. And you go, now wait a minute. 
But I also know that when you run into stuff, it's not a lot of fun. It stops really quick, and oh, man. But you know what? There are some people that have made a shipwreck. They've made a mess out of their life and their faith because they put away their faith and their conscience convicted them. Now, conviction. Some people think that's a bad word. You know that? Some people think that's a bad word. Not a curse word. So it's not a curse word. It's not like I say conviction and and everybody goes, oh, the pastor's cussing in church. No, not a bad word like that. No, some people think conviction is is a bad word because when you think of conviction, a lot of people think of conviction is, is God saying, oh, you're doing something rotten. You're doing, you're not behaving. And you're in your heart, you're going, oh, and, uh, and it's like God pressing down on you really hard. And some folks have the idea that that's what conviction is. Now, there's a part of that that's somewhat true. But you know what conviction really is? Conviction is really God speaking to you. That is God speaking to you. Now, that sounds like something I want to celebrate, doesn't it? You? I want to celebrate. When God speaks to me, when I hear God speaking to me through his Bible, then all of a sudden he says, hey, Pat, don't you do those things. When he speaks in my heart and all of a sudden my heart says, you know what, I probably shouldn't pick on Miss Heather like that. I probably shouldn't pick on Miss Heather like that. Now, I have two choices. I have two choices, just like you have two choices. I have one choice that when God speaks to my heart and says, don't pick on Miss Heather like that, I have one choice that says, okay, I'm not going to pick on Miss Heather like that. So I don't say those things that I shouldn't say. I don't look at her and go, Miss Heather, you're... No, I don't say those things. Now, what else? God says, don't do those things. Sometimes God tells us to do some things too, doesn't he? See, when I listen to God speak in my life and when God speaks in your life, he tells us and he gives us the instruction to do. That's conviction. So sometimes God says, you know what? Miss Heather needs encouragement. Miss Heather needs encouragement. She's a good lady. She's a good wife. She's, she's a wonderful person. She loves all of you kids. My goodness. She loves all of you kids. I need to encourage her today. I'm glad God's not saying that right now. Because I'd probably be in trouble. Because I don't have anything to give her, right? I don't have anybody to, other than to say thank you, Miss Heather, for being you. And your testimony and your love for boys and girls. And I can say that to her. Miss Heather's going to say, <laughs> you really mean it? You really mean it? I can say, yes, I really mean it. Oh. But I'm, I can disagree with God or I can agree with God when he speaks in my life. And when the Bible speaks in our life, we can agree with God or we can disagree with God. And it's really interesting because that's what conviction is when he speaks in your life and mine. Sometimes in the middle of the storm when things are tough, 
when, when things are tough, when the ship is about to go under and doubt is, is there, you wonder, is God, if God really loves me, why am I going through this? Why is this happening to me? Why? Does that mean you're not a Christian? No. It means you're human. It means you're human. Welcome to the human race. If you have doubts, welcome to the human race. If circumstances cause us to doubt, it's not that you've turned against God. It's not that you don't believe. If doubt has, has come because of pain and heartache and circumstances in our life, then guess what? It's amazing how many Americans say they believe God, and every time a poll is taken, it, it is in the high 90s that people say, I believe in God. So 9 out of 10 people, almost 10 out of 10 people say, I believe in God. And one of the reasons people have doubt is because of the circumstances they've gone through. It's, it's that they don't believe in God. It's just that they know the God that they don't believe in. They've been disappointed by a church or maybe disappointed by a Christian or, or some circumstance in life. So doubt or difficulty has come in their life. What to do with our doubts? What do I need to do? See, if I could teach you how to deal with your doubts when you're young, it'd be awesome. It'd be awesome. The first thing is to admit that you have them. i got to admit that I'm struggling with a doubt. See, pride comes before destruction and the haughty spirit before a fall. So in other words, my pride says, no, I don't have any problems. How are you doing today? Good. Well, really, I'm struggling. <laughs> well, isn't that lying? Yeah, but what do we do? We like to put on the mask. We put on the, the cover that says, you know what? I'm not going to tell you how I really feel. I'm going to protect that. I'm going to guard against that. I'm not going to be vulnerable. I'm not going to be transparent. I'm not going to be where you can see through. And yet, you know what? Our body language, the way in which our, our face expresses, the way in which our bodies speak, uh, how we do things really tells a lot about how we're doing today. I can tell you a lot of times when you're sick. I can tell you when you're discouraged. I can tell when you're mad at your parents. I can look at the parents and tell when they're mad at their kids. You betcha. We can go through and you go, there it is. Why? Because you know what the reality is? Is we've got to come, come to a place where we admit, we have to admit that we have those doubts. So here's a man we read about a, a moment ago who through tears and anguish said, Lord, I believe, but I also doubt. Help me in my unbelief. He was confessing his doubt there in, in, in the Gospel of Mark. And it's all right to tell God that you doubt, and it certainly is. The psalmist did a lot of times. This man was telling Jesus he doubted. He was turning his back on the Lord. He, he wasn't denying God. He was just confessing that he's human. That he's just like you and I. So refuse to be intimidated by our doubts, but admit them. Get them out in the open. You remember John the Baptist? Remember him? You say, well, let's think about this. It brings, it brings it home. John the Baptist saw so many people repent, and the Bible says that all of Jerusalem was going out into the wilderness to hear John the Baptist preach. People were giving their hearts to the Lord. They were being baptized. He was just the hottest thing around. Then he crossed King Herod. Now, if you know the story of John the Baptist, King Herod, he was... Uh, King Herod put him in prison, put John the Baptist in the prison. While he was in prison, this man who was raised in the outdoors, this man who preached in the wilderness, this man who wore, wore camel hair 
sport coat. That's sounding real comfortable, isn't it? Yeah, let's put the camel hair on today. He ate locusts. Remember our yucky night when we had all the funny little things? He ate the locusts. Not them little ones we had. He ate the big ones. Thank you for that ugly, just, oh, yuck, right? And uh, But not only that, but he had wild honey for his diet. Oh, man, there he is. This rugged man that loved to declare sin and call sin what it is, he began to question or doubt. From the dungeon, he sent word to Jesus, and he said this, Ask Jesus of Nazareth if he is the one who would come, or should we look for somebody else? Are you the Messiah, Jesus? Ask him if he really is the Messiah. Now, there was a time when John had no doubt that Jesus was the Messiah. In fact, he pointed at Jesus and he said this. He said, Behold, the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. You say, there he is, and that is a statement of absolute faith and confidence. There's no doubt in that statement. He said, this is the one, and he baptized Jesus. He saw the Spirit of God descend as a dove upon Jesus. He heard the Heavenly Father. He heard God the Father say, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Now, if John the Baptist experienced all the power of God as he did, don't you think you and I are human enough to have the same doubts that he had? Wow. See, I've found that a lot of folks begin to doubt. They begin to doubt. They begin to doubt God was ever going to use them because they wouldn't want to go and do this service or that service. They'd want to go out and they want to, there, there might not be an opening and it might be uh, something, but God was didn't appear to be moving. And they begin to doubt that God knew where they were or that God cared for them. And I know God knows where I am. You know how I know that God knows where I am? One, he never leaves me nor forsakes me, right? That's a good one. But how about this one? The fact that he put me here. He put you here. You say, I know that... <coughs> Excuse me. I know that, but, but sometimes I forget where he left me. That's kind of, that's the kind of attitude. That's the way John the Baptist was. He's in prison. He's in the dungeon. This man who said, behold the Lamb of God now, says, Jesus, are you the one? Are you the one? Jesus said, you go back and tell John this. Tell him that the lame are made to walk, the blind are made to see, the poor have the good news preached to them. All these miracles are taking place, and, and blessed is he who is not disappointed in me. Then after they turned and they walked away, Jesus turned to his disciples and he said, Of all the people born to women, there's never been one greater than John the Baptist. And I thank God for that. Even after John expressed doubt, Jesus affirmed him. Jesus encouraged him. Jesus will affirm and encourage your doubt and mine. Right in the midst. We don't have to deny that, that doubt is there. Admit our doubt and know that the Lord loves us. Thomas, one of the 12 disciples, was called. We called, uh, we, we called him Doubting Thomas, right? So often we go, there's Doubting Thomas. He confessed his doubt. 
and he uh, had not confessed his doubt and, and brought it out in the open, he may have, have never settled that doubt. You realize he became a true, follow, a true believer because he said to the disciples, you've seen Jesus. You say he's risen from the, bed, from the dead, but I not going to be, I'm not going to be disappointed again. I'm not going to have my hopes built up and only to have my hopes shattered. Unless I see it for myself, unless I can put my hands, my fingers in, in the, the, the nail prints of his hands and the scars on his side, I, I'm not going to believe. And when Jesus appeared to Thomas, he saw Jesus, Thomas saw Jesus for himself. He experienced Jesus himself. Jesus, Jesus didn't chide him he, he, or reject him, but Thomas had his faith encouraged, affirmed, built up. There's an interesting verse in Jude 22 that the Bible tells us in some have compassion making a difference. As a matter of fact, one version says it this way, be merciful to those who doubt. It's talking about the coming of the Lord and the promises of God. And I believe God is merciful to his children in times of doubt. We, we don't have to deny doubt in order to be believers. We we don't have to think that it means that we're turning our back on God, but we have to admit our doubts. Job had doubts. Abraham had doubts. When God announced to him again when he was almost 100 years old. Anybody want to live to be 100? 100. Yeah, you say that now. Say that now. Let me tell you, when you get a little bit older and everything starts hurting, you start thinking about that 100 getting a little closer. And I don't know if I want to go that far. I think it's going to hurt a lot. But here's, you begin to look and you say, here's Abraham. He's almost 100 years old. He's doubting that he's going to have a son. Sarah surely had doubts because remember, she was listening behind the tent and she heard when the Lord affirmed, when he encouraged, when he reminded him of that promise that he's going to have a child. And she's listening behind that tent and she's listening and you and Sarah are going to have a son. She was 90 years of age and she heard that. And you know what she did? She laughed. Can you imagine having a baby at 90 years of age? Oh, I just heard somebody giggle. You giggled like Sarah giggled. Because you know what? That's exactly what she did. Yeah, right. I'm not going to have a baby. I'm 90 years old. Somebody said, we know that, that she didn't really believe it because if a 90-year-old woman was told she was going to have a baby and she believed it, she wouldn't be laughing. She'd be crying. But we know Sarah had doubts. We know she did. The second thing about doubt is... is uh, is to doubt our doubts. We believe our doubts, and then we doubt our faith. See, we, we need to believe our, our beliefs and doubt our doubts. It doesn't make any sense to go on believing our doubts because you never have any, any peace. Proverbs 3, 5. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Trust in the Lord with all of your heart. How much? All. Thank you. All. Trust in the Lord with all of your heart. And ready for this? Lean not on your own understanding. Lean not on my own understanding. 
you mean lean on what? In all thy ways acknowledge him, and he will direct thy paths. So in other words, what do you listen to the most? Who are you listening to? When I say believe your beliefs and doubt your doubts, what I'm saying is I'm asking you, do you believe more in your feelings or do you believe more in God's word? Do you believe your feelings or do you believe God's word? Well, we say that. We say, well, I believe God's word. I believe God's word because that sounds good, right? That sounds really good. If I go, well, I believe God's word. and In other words, what do we listen to most? Do we listen to God's word? You say, well, I don't feel that God loves me. I feel like God's forsaken me. I feel like God's forgotten me. I, I feel like God's punishing me. That sounds like somebody's having a pity party, doesn't it? I feel like God's angry with me. Those feelings are real. Those feelings are real. I'm sure that some of you have even gone through and maybe even myself have gone through and said some of those things. And we go, God, God, and, and we're, but is that really the way God feels toward us? See, you find out when you go to God's word, the Bible will teach you just from the examples that I've given you that even when doubt, when you doubt, it doesn't mean that God stopped loving you or that God stopped, or, or that God's rejecting you. It doesn't mean that God's angry or that you've done anything wrong. Believe what God says as a reality not how we feel and not circumstances. See, reality is what God says in his word because God's word never changes. Our feelings change. My goodness. Miss Heather, I built her up earlier in the message, right? I was really nice. I said nice things about her. I said nice things. You weren't paying attention? Come on, help me out here. And uh, so I, I said really nice things about her. I build her up. So tonight, Miss Heather will go home and maybe just say something really nice to me. What do you think, maybe, girl? Miss Heather, be nice to me. Because I said really nice things about her. Well, what happens tomorrow when I get up and I stomp on her toe? Yeah, her feelings for me are going to change a little bit, aren't, aren't they? Her feelings are going to change for me a, a whole bunch. If I, bam, stomp on her toe, you know what, her feelings, and she might express herself toward me too, huh? And I might go, wait a minute, Miss Heather doesn't love me anymore. She's angry at me. And I get my tears just to roll it down my face. Wait a minute, what am I really doing? I'm just having a pity party because Miss Heather loves me. Miss Heather's been around me for a long time. She's not going anywhere. You know why? Because she said, till death do us part. Now, she might try to murder me, but uh, that last time I checked, she wasn't going to do that. But, you know, that's an example of how our feelings can change. Oh, I don't like you. But God's word never changes. Our feelings change. Our feelings are so, so fickle. They change every day. They change with every everything that happens nationally or internationally. Everything that happens or doesn't happen at work. Our, our feelings go back and forth. It doesn't change a thing. But about the way God is or the way God feels. God's cons constant. He's unchanging. He's consistent in his love for you and I. The third thing is you want to defeat doubts is not only admit them and doubt them, but begin with faith that you already have. 
Begin with the faith that you already have. Back to this man that came to Jesus with his son who said, Lord, I believe. Help thou mine unbelief. Help mine unbelief. He, he had belief, but he had unbelief mixed in, in with his belief. And eh, he had some belief, so he comes to Jesus and he begins with his, un, with his belief. See, courage is not the absence of fear. Courage is moving against our fear. Courage is, is believing in the middle of, of, your, uh, of your fear. It's like, like faith is not the absence of doubt. Faith is believing in spite of our doubts. Faith is, is moving ahead in spite of our doubts. So this man had a great miracle in the life of his son because he used the faith that he had, even though it may have been frail kind of faith. Well, when Jesus talked about faith as a grain of mustard seed again, he was saying that the smallest amount of faith is greater than the greatest amount of doubt. He's saying it's not that you need great amount of faith, but it's in the object in which you place your faith and your trust. Are you willing to trust Jesus with all? Are you willing to trust in the Lord with all of your heart? Not leaning on my understanding or your understanding, but in all our ways saying, Lord Jesus, I'm going to acknowledge, I'm going to listen to you. And let him direct our path. See, if you drive a car, you have faith. If you rode in the car tonight with Miss Heather, you had faith. A lot of it. Because you trust that when she takes one foot off of the gas pedal and puts it on the brake pedal, that that car is going to stop. You have faith that it's just going to happen. It's just going to happen. It's going to work. Just that way. You have faith that the car is going to stop. You come to the intersection, you, you have faith that the other cars are going to stop. You have to believe that everybody's going to stop as you pass through. You sat in a chair today. You're sitting in the pew right now. You have faith that it's going to hold you up. Everybody has faith. We, we don't realize almost every moment of every day that we live, we have to exercise faith. Faith is, is a mountain-moving faith. faith. Is faith that's placed in a big God is a mountain-moving faith. A little faith plus a big God equals great results. It's not a big faith. It's what you put in the object of your faith. Hebrews chapter 12, verse number 1 teaches us that faith is the byproduct of keeping our eyes on Jesus. It says there that we'll be looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. When we keep our eyes on him and we focus our eyes on Jesus, it endangers faith in, in us because, or it in, engages faith in us because he is the author of our faith. He's the completer of our faith. So faith comes as a byproduct of looking to Jesus, following his direction. When we invite people to come to Jesus, one of the things we, we tell them correctly we should and we should, is that they don't have to figure everything out in life before they come to Jesus. No? What do you tell somebody if you're witnessing them and they say, well, now I, I've got to understand more of the Bible. You don't have to understand more of the Bible. Just trust Him. Trust Jesus. See, some of you have been coming to, coming to church for a long time. Jocelyn, how old are you? 
You've been coming to church seven years. You've been going to church for seven years. You turned eight today, and I happen to know, Sirelia, you've been going to church. Your dad's shaking his head no. Are you fibbing to us? Oh, man, I was going to say you had me on that one. So you've been going to our church for seven years. It hadn't made it to eight yet. All right. Got to wait. Before you get to eight, you got to gotta finish seven before you get to eight. But I know that you, uh, as we go through, you go, wait a second. I've been going to church. You've been going to church for a long time. So here's what I'm going to test. Abby, you've been coming to our church for a long time. So here we go. I want to make sure. I'm so glad that I don't have to understand all of this. I'm so glad RJ doesn't have to understand all of this. He's right there. I'm so glad RJ doesn't have to understand all this. Because if I toss these words out, we're in all kinds of trouble. So here they come. You ready? You ready? I'm pretty sure Amanda's got them all figured out, but we'll go ahead. We'll make sure. Just because in order to be saved, Amanda has to figure out systematic theology, eschatology, uh, epistemology, and sociology, and all of those things I really can't even say. My goodness. What are those, right? Aren't you so glad that God says, oh, you don't have to know all of those things just to get saved? Those are weird words, aren't they? But you know what? All of those words deal with things that are in your Bible. For real. But you know what? We don't use those words most of the time. We don't use those. And I'm thankful. Because I think the devil created those words just to confuse people. But you know what? The devil just gives people an excuse. And they need to come to Jesus. Just as they are when we place our faith in him. We don't have to clean up before we come. So it's hard to explain to somebody who's not a Christian how they can come to Christ just like they are. Just believing the essentials. Just believing the simple things. He died for them. He rose for the dead. And if they're willing to repent of their sins and confess him as Lord and Savior, that he'll save them. He'll come into their life and he'll live with them forever. So the devil keeps a lot of people from being saved by telling them, you don't know enough. Or you don't behave like you ought to behave. The truth is, most of us today, we've, we've studied a long time or we've been in church a long time. We've read the Bible. And there's so much we don't know, we don't understand because God is infinite and his word's infinite. You realize that you never run out of things to teach when it comes to the word of God because it's so full and so rich and unfathomable it's, it's the same way with our faith even as believers there are times when our faith and the promises of God for answered prayer or for the promise of God for strength or the promise of God just to commit our situation to him we've doubted that or we've questioned it we said God can you really We've got to start to put our faith. We, we need to put our faith in God. We need to put our trust in Jesus. We've got to look to God, and if we put our eyes on Jesus, he's the author and the finisher of our faith. A little faith plus a big God equals great results. We've got to come to him and say, Lord, I have some doubt. 
help me with this doubt. I admit it. I confess it. But Lord, I'm going to look at your word. I don't feel loved. I don't feel like you're moving. I don't feel like you're working. I, I can't see it, but your word says you are. Lord, I'm going to believe your word more than I'm going to believe my doubts. We begin with the faith that we have. The Bible says God reveals himself to us from faith to faith. In other words, we begin at this level of faith and we move up the mountain. Up the mountain in faith as we, we continue to, to look to the Lord Jesus and, and keep our eyes upon him, we can defeat our doubts. We don't have to be defeated by our doubts. So just like the man in Mark 9, help me in my unbelief. Help me in those times when I question. Help me get a handle on it in my mind and my heart. Because my emotions, they'll lie to me. They'll lie to me all the time but Lord Jesus you never lie and your word never lies for you are faithful and he is true let's pray together Lord I thank you for who you are and Lord I thank you that we can have a faith a faith not only that moves mountains but a faith that is greater than all our troubles Lord Jesus, I ask that you'd help us. Lord, that when the doubts come, when our fears are there, Lord, that we will trust you. As you are a God who stays. No matter what's going on in my life, you're always there. And I thank you. And I ask that you help each of us to grow. In Jesus' name we pray.